Great to have everybody here on this, uh, what we call Family Sunday, and uh, um, next week we'll be kind of relaunching our kids' church uh, ministry and ministering to our young disciples. So thank you to, to those of you who stepped up to serve during the summertime and helped to, to keep that going through the summer, and uh, just a blessing for families and, and for the kids, to, uh, and for those who teach, to, to be part of the discipleship of the young ones. So, But good for kids to be in the service today for this particular passage, because we're going to talk about, for us as individuals, but also as families, how we uh, respond to God. And so today we get to finish our journey through the book of Joshua. I hope you've enjoyed it. I don't know how much of the book of Joshua you were familiar with before, this, uh, before we started this study, uh, but I hope that it's been challenging to you. We've had some kind of tough, big, tough questions and challenging aspects of as we think about our own faith as we've studied these things but I also hope that you are encouraged that it's been a blessing to you to see a God who is faithful to his people uh, over time and just that God's promises are good every promise fulfilled we've been calling this so I hope you're encouraged by that God's promises to you are good and will be fulfilled in your life as well and so I hope this also builds confidence for you as you read your Bible the book of Joshua and Judges really bridges us from the time of uh, Moses and the giving of the law and the Exodus, all these famous things, and then gets us to the time of the kings. And, of course, there's all that long history and the exile and all that stuff. And then that leads us really close to, to the coming of Jesus Christ. So Joshua is part of that bridge uh, of, of Scripture. So as you read in different parts of the Bible or as you hear different sermons, you, you can place it uh, in that history so today we're going to look, how does Joshua end? So we're skipping over a bunch of chapters where essentially Joshua is, there's all the land that they've conquered, or mostly have conquered, and, and they're just giving out the land to the different tribes and the different family groups. Hey, here's, we're done conquering, now you're going to settle and you're going to live there, and this is the land that God has provided for you. So there's long lists of family names and that sort of thing. And we get to these last few chapters where these big gatherings of God's people. And here, the last of those gatherings, uh, they, they come to a point where the question is for them, what are you going to do? How are you going to live? What next? God gave you this land. God brought you here. How are you going to respond? And for us, this is actually a great question for us any day, but particularly today. You know, how are we going to live? How are we now going to live in this new season? Because this is like New Year's to me. You know, New Year's in January, nobody cares about that. It's just a blip. Nothing changes. The weather is the same. The, 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 you just wear the same clothes. It takes you three months to figure out what year it is when you're writing it down Nobody, because nobody cares. But right now, with the new school year, you, like the kids' grades write every single time. You know, it's, a, it's a new season. The weather's changing. Everything feels new. This feels more to me like New Year's Day, early September, than, than that thing in January. And um, so I think for us, it's a good time to say, hey, how are, how are we going to live this year? What's next for us now that we've started a new thing? What is our commitment to this? And so in every day, every person has a choice. Am I going to choose to follow God today? How am I going to respond to what God has, has done in my life? So what I want to look at, two things today, is one is the choice that is given to these, to these folks when they're kind of forced to to choose how they're going to live. And then I want to secondly look at their response. How do they respond to that challenge? So let's pray together. So Father, as we have gathered in your name and have sung your praises 
Uh, we pray now that you would be speaking to our hearts as we consider your word. Help us to see the choice that is before us, Lord, and help us to have your wisdom and your strength to, to choose you. Lord, help us to have hearts that are obedient to what you're calling us to today. So we give this time to you. Be glorified, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the, here's the choice. The choice is now, what are you going to do? Verse 14, now, fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. It's kind of a, a command that Joshua gives the people. But he says, now, you're going to do this. What is he saying now to? Well, just prior to this, which wasn't read for you, is that um, God, through Joshua, has given the people an account of all of his goodness from the time of Abraham right up to the present moment. So basically, he says, Abraham and, and his family members, they were idol worshipers. But I called him and made promises to him, and I gave him offspring. I gave him Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob and his family lived in Egypt. Which, as we think about the story, that, that didn't go so well. In, when Jacob's family was in Egypt, they, had, they, were, uh, they ended up becoming an enslaved people. They had a very harsh life. And yet, God is reminding them that even through those difficult seasons, that God was unfolding and fulfilling the, his promises. So he said, uh, down to till everybody was in Egypt, and then I gave you Aaron and Moses, and they led you out of that slavery. And then as you were um, east of the Jordan... I helped you, you know, defended you against those people. And then you crossed the Jordan, and I gave you victory in those places. I'm giving you this land. This is all my hand. And God finally says, look, you're now living in cities you didn't build. You have vineyards that were already planted. You didn't have to toil to do that. I have done all these things for you. And now, what is the response? It, it begs a response. And it's, it's, it's interesting, and it's a, it's a good reminder to us that our faith in God is not just agreeing to a philosophy. It's not just agreeing to a moral code or a, uh, you know, a way of living. We're responding to a God who acts in time and space, in history. So God is recounting this, this long prologue as a history of what he's done. And for us, our faith in Jesus Christ isn't just that we agree with Jesus' teaching, but we believe that Jesus came to this earth, that he died on the cross, that he rose again to new life. These are foundational, historic things. It's not just ideas. It's not just morality or philosophy. It is history. John, the gospel writer, he said in John 20, he wrote down you know, all these things that Jesus said and did. And he said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. It's like these things actually happened. And, and as you as you see it and as you believe in it, life is going to come from that. Now here, we have a description of all that God had done for these people, and it's just begging a response. God's action requires a reaction. Just like it says in Romans 12.1, Romans 12.1, in view of God's mercy, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is, this is God's, God's way. Romans is all a description of how God has saved his people. Now, in view of what God has done, how are you going to respond? And so you have a choice. And the choice that the people are given in Joshua's day, it's an all or nothing choice. He said, if you're going to choose God, you've got to put away, you've got to follow him wholeheartedly, you've got to throw away all the other gods, and you just, you can't, and you can't not choose. 
By not choosing to, to obey the Lord, to follow the Lord, you're actually making a choice. It can feel like a non-choice. Say, so actually, I'm going to just kind of sit on the fence. But that, God doesn't give us that space. Something will drive your life. Something will disciple you if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. So a non-choice is actually a choice. Look at verse, look at verse 15. This is how Joshua does this. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're, you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He said, I'm going to serve the Lord, but if you don't serve the Lord, you're either going to, you're going to be influenced by the old traditional gods of Abraham, the old thing, or this new, these new gods and these new ideas where you're living now. Something is going to drive you. And the conservative-minded folks of Joshua's day may have said, oh, you know, we should probably stick to the old, you know, the gods of Abraham's family before all this stuff. You know, let's, let's, that, that's our heritage. That's, you know, and just have that traditional kind of a view. I'm sure the more progressive people of Joshua's day might have said, well, hey, this, this, we're in a new land. They've got these new ideas and new gods. Let's, let's do it the new way. And Joshua said, if you're not choosing the Lord God, you're, you're going to follow one of these things. Same thing for us. If we don't intentionally choose to follow God, there's going to be something else that's shaping our worldview. And I use the word conservative and progressive intentionally because everything that happens in our world gets immediately politicized. Everything. Whether it's a natural disaster or a comment that somebody makes or an accident. or it's, it, Everything gets so politicized. And if we don't look at the world through the lens of the good news of Jesus Christ, through the, through the lens of Scripture, then political ideals are a good discipler. They're very convincing, and they can help us to try to make sense of the world. But the choice that we have is, are we going to let those things shape us and drive us, or is our primary driver and our primary motivation going to be faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? So Joshua's choice, he said, me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And it's such a beautiful statement of faith, because you know, Joshua may not be able to change the whole world, and even in our lives, you know, we can't fix every ill of society and change the whole world and change our culture, but you know what we can do? We can be faithful today to what God's calling us to. I can be faithful today. And I pray that that would impact my world and bless my world, but you know what I can do? I can follow the Lord, and I can trust his way. So for me and my family, we're going to follow the Lord. We're going to do things differently. And for you and your family, same thing. Now, that may not make you popular. Your kids might be completely annoyed with the fact that you don't do what every other family does. That you're the only ones who do things a certain way, but say, you know what? For me and my household, we serve the Lord. For you as an individual, you can get up every day and say, you know what? I choose to live my life a certain way because I'm following the Lord and he is guiding me. And what this does for us, it reminds us that there is a future. In a world that says everything's so terrible and everybody's so pessimistic, we can say, no, as we follow the Lord, there is hope because we are committing ourselves to God who has committed himself to us by special promises, covenant promises. A covenant is not just a promise. It's a promise that's based in relationship. 
So we talk about marriage as a covenant. It's, okay, so it's, it's two people making a commitment to each other, but it's to, to live a certain way together, to live a certain way of life. Or we talk about church membership as a covenant. We're making a promise. Uh, we're we're ma- making a, pro- a mutual commitment, but it's a commitment that's lived out, it, lived, life lived out in a certain way. Even a real estate, a land covenant, it's, it's not just a contract, but it's also we're going to live and use this land in a certain way. God's covenant is... I'm I'm making promises to you, and you're going to commit yourself to me, but it's based in a relationship of love. And look at what I've done for you. When Jesus says, follow me, forsake everything else, and follow me, and you will understand what true, eternal, and abundant life is all about. But you're going to follow me. It's based in a relationship of love, where he said, I love you so much that I'm willing to go to a cross for you. I'm going to die in your place to rescue you from your life of sin and darkness. It's, it's a promise of new life, but it, it, it's built in a relationship and it creates a way of life. So the question for us is, who will we follow? And the question to these people, what's your choice? How are you going to respond to God's goodness? So here's their response. In verse 16, the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord God himself who brought us uh, and our parents out of Egypt. So we've got to remember, some of, these, um, some of these people were little kids when they, when they went through the Red Sea at the time of the Exodus. The older people had all died off, but under a certain age, they may have even remembered those great moments. So, um, so God performed these great signs. He protected us our entire journey among all the nations through which we traveled, and the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We... Two will serve the Lord because he is our God. They are committed to the way of the Lord. And then Joshua gives the best response. He says in verse 19, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and sins. If, he, if, you, forsake the Lord and serve, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you, make an end of you after he's been good to you. It's great. They said, we're going to serve the Lord. And he said, are you really sure you can do that? This is a big commitment. He's intentionally being discouraging to the people, which seems strange, except Jesus did the same exact thing. When Jesus was inviting people to join in this kingdom that he was ushering in in the world, huge crowds were following him, and he would turn to them and intentionally make it challenging. He said, look, you might want to count the cost before you start jumping on this big crowd that's going along here. You might want to know, you know, a builder goes to build a building, you kind of want to know what it's going to cost before you start building it. He said, if you want to follow me, you're going to take up a cross. You're going to die daily to follow me. So it's not an easy call, but in it, you're going to find life. And it reminds us that it's easy to, with our words to say, yes, I'll follow God. Yes, I'll, I'll follow Jesus, uh, but not really follow through. Jesus told a, a great story. He told a parable about two sons. And the father went to the sons, and he said to the first son, come work with me in the, in the vineyard today. And the son said, "Nah, Dad, I'm not working with you today. But changed his mind and went and worked in the vineyard. The second son the father said, hey, come work with me in the vineyard. And the son said, yeah, I'll work with you today, and then, and then didn't. Follow through. And Jesus said, this is what my kingdom's like. You can, you can look really religious and seem really committed, but it's about 
following through on that commitment. It's, it's aligning with the Father's way, choosing to walk in that path. And it's a good reminder to us that all the resolve in the world and all the commitment isn't enough. We need to, we need to remember that it was God's hand that was faithful in our lives up to this point, just as he was in the day of Joshua. And that it's going to be God's hand who is providing and faithful to us as we walk it out. It's not about our resolve. It's not about our words. It's about trusting him as he empowers us to be his people. So Joshua says, no, you really can't serve the Lord. But in verse 21, they double down. They say, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said, okay, if you're going to serve the Lord, you've got to get rid of anything else. because Get rid of all these other gods because nothing can compete with God. We often use this kind of language, that we need to put God first in our life before everything else, and making, making God number one. And you may have, um, I may have said that from the pulpit, you may have heard that taught, you know, put God first in your life. So a few weeks ago at the teen camp, Hobby was teaching about this concept, about putting God first in your life. He said, he said, you know, when you put God first in your life, the problem with that is that he's only first. And there's the other things in your life that you put second, third, fourth. So if you say God is first and then maybe family is second and work is third and um, you know, ministry is fourth or you know, however, you know, serving other people, whatever, however you rank those things, you, those other things can actually compete for first place. Or we can compartmentalize our faith to say, okay, if God is number one, I'll do my God stuff and then I can do my family stuff, my work stuff my serving stuff. You see the problem there when we compartmentalize like that? So he said, instead of saying put God first, he said put God at the center of everything. So, so God is not just number one in, in, in life, but God is the center of my family. God is the center of my work. God is the center of my serving others. God is the center of all the things that I do. That it's all about God at the center of my life, not just Number one, and so that other things are not competing with God. And here, when they commit to follow the Lord, they're, they're, nothing can compete. God has to be at the center of everything. So that's the people's commitment. And that day, they renewed their covenant. Joshua puts up a monument. He sets up a stone monument. And this whole thing goes full circle, all the way from Abraham, all the way five or 600 years later, to the exact same place where... God made the promise, and the promise was fulfilled. Look at Genesis chapter 12. So we're backing up, ready? 500 years, 600 years, ready? This is um, Abram, Abraham. So Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree, so there's a great tree, of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So God makes a promise to Abram under this tree in Shechem, and, and he builds, builds a memorial, an altar there. So now, fast forward all the way to the time of Joshua. Again, five, six hundred years later. It says, verse 25, On that day Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem, same town, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God, and then he took a large stone and set it up, under the oak, that's oddly specific, under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. What holy place? This is the same place where God made his promise to Abraham. And this is the same place where they said, this God has been faithful to us. We will follow him. 
And it's in this spot, and they renew this covenant relationship with their God. It is good for people to renew covenant relationships, to renew our covenant with God. And choosing, saying, I choose today to continue to follow the God who continues to be faithful to me today as he was yesterday, as he will be tomorrow. We, in a few moments, we're going to celebrate uh, communion together, the Lord's Supper. This is a sign, Jesus said, this is a sign of a new covenant, our, our relationship with God, and a, our covenant relationship, again, which is built on promise and relationship of love. And, and Jesus said, this is a sign of that covenant. Every time we take it in, we are reaffirming that we are people who are living under God's promises to save us and to forgive us of our sins and to give us new life. And we take it in, and we're going to do that together today. And I, I pray that we never get lost in the ritual of this. This is never just, oh, Christians gather, and they, they eat of the bread and drink of the cup, and they, you, know, you go through the motions. And it's easy to go through the motions, but may we never forget that we are recommitting ourselves to the way of the Lord. We need to choose every day, again and again, to choose to follow our Lord. We renew our covenant. And perhaps today you say, you know, I don't know if I've ever really made that choice in the first place. I don't know if I've ever entered into that. I want to give you an opportunity to just say yes, to choose to follow God, to choose to accept what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. So just you can, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you could just, you know, silently in your heart, you can pray something like this. Let's bow our heads and pray together. So, Father God, today I choose to follow you. I accept that Jesus died for me on that cross. I believe he rose again from the dead to bring me new life. And I, I choose to accept your grace, to accept this gift you've given me, to have new life in you. And today I, I, choose, I choose to accept that. I thank you that you offer it to me freely. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to lead me. Be my king and my God and my savior and friend. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.